Hello and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this week we're discussing A Magic Steeped in Poison by Judy I. Lin, which tells the story of Ning, a young girl with a dying sister, whose name is Shul, uh, who is headed to the capital to comp- compete to become the new Xing Nung Shur, uh, master in the magical art of tea making in the hopes of gaining a favor from the princess, which might be able to save her sister. Chaos ensues as it does. <laughs> that was a very good recap. Thank you. <laughs> it helps that I listened to the book very recently. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how that helps. It's so fresh. I know. I know. Initial reactions. Kelly is going to admit something. <laughs> I'll admit that I didn't finish my initial reactions. Um, oh no, I'll admit that it. A few, I guess we could say, more superficial things are what drew me into the book, like the gorgeous cover, mm-hmm. like so beautiful, and also the the whole tea premise. Like I was just in. Like you didn't really have to sell me that hard. I like wanted to read the book anyway. Um, I enjoyed some of the tropes. Um, that I think is like a seasoned reader of the genre you can kind of see coming but like that is not a bad thing I'm just saying that yeah I'm excited to see where it goes in the next in the next book because we get people fleeing the capital and the princess is dethroned and is losing some of her power so things are, are starting to get mixed up and get interesting and only a duology so we only have to read one more book <laughs> gorgeous we love it oh my gosh what do you what about you what do you think um, I listened to the audiobook, which was narrated by Carolyn Kang, which is why everything is spelled phonetically in the show notes, um, so I would remember how to say it. But I really love this book. There were some of the usual tropes that we expect in YA, but I really enjoyed the magical tea elements. That was really cool. Um, the characters were great, and I really had no idea who was behind all the poisonings in the story. I feel like that was hidden very well. Like It was kind of brought up at the beginning, but also... Like, I wouldn't have suspected this person, um, whose name I don't remember, even though I listened to the book this week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed the book. And I'm excited to read the second one and like see what how this like story wraps up. Recommend if you like. Any kind of story with uh, like a competition to find the best whatever I feel like this is a trope we see not super often, but we've seen it in a couple of the other books that we've read. And now I can't think of even one of them. (laughs) Yeah, several. One that we just read recently wasn't, I mean, The Final Strife was a competition one, but that was an adult fantasy. Yeah, and The Atlas Six, but also an adult fantasy. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. But but it's just like there, was the A Psalm of Storms and Silence, was that a fan, was that a? Yeah. That was a competition one, right? Yes. Yeah, they've they've all like escaped my mind the minute we go on the yeah. spot. Like I can't recall. Of course. <laughs> Perhaps the Grisha Burst, the book says for fans of Lee Bardugo, and I can kind of see that like with like whatever those first books are called with Alina or whatever. I can kind of see that. What is it? What are the books called? I don't remember. Shadow and Bone, I believe. That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched the TV show too, so I should like remember. <laughs> we finished the second season. Yeah, yeah. Of the show. Yeah, me too. Me too. Why did we choose this book? 
feel like it was making the rounds on Insta for a bit, like no doubt in part because the book was like has one of the best covers I've ever seen. Like totally agree with you on that. But I don't remember people really like talking about the book. Like, no, it was more like they were doing publicity for like cover reveals and stuff. But maybe I just missed it. So that's also fine, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we, we get to uh, we'll get into the, the meat of the thing here. It won't just be posting the photo. <laughs> Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. There is so much food in this book. <laughs> so much. It was everywhere all the time. Everywhere all the time. So one of the things we talked about in my Asian American youth literature class, um, which is talked about Sarah Park Dolan, if you're like in the library world and focus on like children's literature stuff, um, she's like kind of famous, which is like wild to me. But we talked about in that class about not having books that only celebrated like the three F's, food, festivals, and fashion, when Mm. thinking about diverse books, which that wasn't the focus of this book. But reading this made me like very hungry. Like the descriptions of the food were just so like enticing. I was like, oh, I want to try all these things. Uh, I loved it. Enticing is a great word. (laughs) I was like quite literally taking notes in the margins, like underlining things because I've like not been living a very Mm -hmm. culinarily inspired existence, I guess, lately. And I was just like, it was, I don't know, awakening some appetites to like explore different flavors. And like there was so many different like regional dishes and yeah, but it didn't feel like out of place. Mm -hmm. Like it was all like necessary because they're in the kitchens or you know it was like how Ning is experiencing this new court where she has access to all of these different like ingredients that she did it beforehand you know when she was in her provincial living a provincial life (laughs) like Belle (laughs) yeah it made me think of um Diana, shout out to Diana, took me and my husband to dim sum in Chicago's Chinatown and I we tried like the table it was just four of us but the table was just like full of all different kinds of things because you can try like small amounts of lots of different things and it made me think of that and like I felt like really glad that I had had that experience and be able to try so many different foods that like I didn't even know what dim sum was so you know so it's fun to like explore and like get to have like traditional food because I think you know a lot of times especially in our culture like so many things are Americanized so yeah I love that about this story we also have each region so there's lots of different regions within this world I don't have a physical copy of the book maybe there was a map no there was no map okay well each region has different ceremonies around making tea which I thought was really cool because a lot of the magic kind of comes from the tea making and I just found that like very interesting it made me think of like tea ceremonies yeah and I'm like oh I want to go to one of those oh me too yeah I will um I think we have like it's all things tea in the in the magic section so I will hold Mm -hmm. off on my comment for then (laughs) okay (laughs) one of the big parts of the world building is we have this like empire that's trying to stay united quote unquote which I like mega scare quotes you know because obviously that's empire speak for like quashing dissent and punishing those who would you know, who actually keep the court and the oligarchs alive like the lower mm-hmm. classes and the f- actual farmers who are making the food or i don't know gathering the tea yeah there was one comment like in the court about like dissidents being like branches in a river that are made to be swept in the river of empire that's made to be swept along and like ning is like doing comments in her exposition like uh, in her internal vocalization is about like 
enough sticks can make a dam that diverts a powerful river, you know? Mm -hmm. So I appreciated how we had like a Ning's coming in with like this peripheral perspective, which we're following as the, as the readers or listeners. And then also kind of questioning, like, cause everyone in the court and the empire is like, this is how we do things. This is how they always been done. This is how they need to be done in perpetuity forever and ever. Amen. And Ning's coming in and being like, um, actually have anyone thought about like why you're doing that or like how it's actually affecting people who make your world, you know, spin on its access. Yeah. I, I like this part of the world building and how we had access to like her, peripheral perspective as readers yeah or even like the way that she doesn't think of something as being like treasonous or you know what like when she um is like doing that poem during one of the competitions and they're like no you can't talk about this because like this person has been like banished or whatever he was like a dissenter or a rebel or whatever they called them in the book but i'm just thinking about like even we can't even like read the works of the people who had done quote unquote bad things for the empire. And it makes me also think about like, I just watched Queen Charlotte on your recommendation and I'm like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) need to process There's so much going on. But yeah, just like how the people in power are the people who need things told to them plainly. But Mm -hmm. those are the people who are least likely to have anyone like say something that would like upset them or like go who's like just complete fawning and people pleasing and yes anding you know for these people in power when they're the people who need like the real talk. They need to be like sat down and be like no this is how things are and this is how you're fucking up. Yeah exactly. 100% agree. Luju Lujo I don't know if you know how to pronounce this because you listened to the audiobook. Lujo. Lujo. Okay, so this is the place where the people are banished. So it's essentially a penal colony, but they don't say that in the book. And in Ning's exposition, I just put expo in my notes. <laughs> I knew <laughs> what it page, meant. <laughs> on page 73, uh, Lujo is a peninsula and a collection of islands to the east. It's also known as the Emerald Isles. It is known to be the most dangerous place in the empire where criminals are exiled in service to the kingdom. They are destined for backbreaking work in the salt marshes or stone quarries. To live there is to await a slow death. So it's kind of like looming over the novel, right? As this like forbidden place and that's where the like banished prince comes from where the like love interest is from i'm curious i think my prediction is that in the second book she'll go there yeah for sure (laughs) actually learn about what it's like there and it's um, chekhov's like banishment place it's chekhov's island (laughs) instead of chekhov's gun (laughs) exactly it wouldn't show up if it weren't important you know (laughs) yeah Let's discuss all things magic. It's all in the tea. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, there was so much that the Xin Young Shur could do with the tea. I feel like this would be a great book for those who are interested in like the medicinal properties of teas and people who like making like tinctures. I remember seeing a book at the library like ages ago about like using tea for medicinal purposes. So I don't remember what it was called or anything, but I thought of that book so many times <laughs> when reading this the ritual and the attention to detail of it all and the way it was described just so beautifully by the author like from the colors to the aromas to the like the vessels you know that the tea is poured into and there's just like so much detail everywhere and it's just lovely and just all around magical I thought that we could talk a little bit about tea yes do you like tea do you drink tea do you have a favorite kind I don't drink it as often as I used to but I do love tea 
I drink black tea or like, <laughs> you know, the Bigelow tea, which is like super cheap, not right, fancy yeah. at all. They have one like called Constant Comet and it's like orange mm-hmm. peel and it's like cloves and spices. We also used to drink Japanese tea a lot when I was a kid um, because we had like this Japanese store that we like market that we would go to all the time. Um, and there was a green tea there that had popcorn in it. Cool. Like, and yeah, I don't, and I look for something similar all the time, but yeah, that's my favorite tea is the green tea with the popcorn in it. And I put a little honey in there and it's so good. <laughs> Anyone knows what the popcorn tea is? I should just look at it. Some, let us know. <laughs> uh, what about you? I love tea. I've been a daily tea drinker of at least one cup of tea since 14 or 15, I think. So like half my life now. Oh, yes. Love all kinds of tea from black tea all the way to white tea and (laughs) green tea in between and oolongs and like puers and just like so good. There's so many different different kinds. I worked as a barista in between undergrad and grad school. And that's when I started learning even more about tea, like the different um, like temperatures that different teas steep at, mm-hmm. like how long they steep for. The differences in like black tea is more oxidized, which is why it's black. And you can't re-steep black tea because it's oxidized. But like green tea is picked when it's earlier and it doesn't go through the oxidation process. And it can get really bitter if you oversteep it and you you can steep that one multiple times. So there's just like so much tea lore and information that I'm like, sure, I haven't even scratched the surface on, but yes, I just love tea. Yes to tea. Yes. Or I think I went to my first tea, Tivana in Colorado and I had like a little brewer that you can like put over top of your cup and it like trickles down. Also, I found it. The tea is called Gen Mai Cha and it's classic Japanese green tea blended with toasted popped rice so it was not popcorn oh no this looks like popcorn in there well maybe it's not but so again my show okay so yeah it's supposed to be less astringent flavor from like the green tea so yeah that was like my favorite thing as a kid (laughs) we would have it in the house all the time (laughs) oh i guess i could talk about how the tea like is used for divination oh yeah or like i don't know what else did they use it for the truth telling yeah yeah truth telling and stuff like that and yeah the poison birds which i'll talk about later (laughs) (laughs) now we're going to talk about conflict villains and good versus evil and get me kylo ren i only wrote one thing in here and like i mentioned earlier i forgot this guy's name already but the guy in charge of like ning's region i think he's like a governor or something i think he's obviously staging a coup with like Kung's dad who was like the banished prince and I guess Kung's dad's probably pretty bad too like maybe he's taking over for the right reasons but also you know it seems a little suspicious so I don't know what's going on (laughs) it does it does seem a little suspicious but it's also like Kung's adoptive dad not like his bio dad because yes right was I getting that okay Mm -hmm. I was a little confused about that okay he he just shows up at the end of the end of the book no, that's not true. He's the banished prince is talked about in like page two, you know? He's like looming over the story, but we don't actually see him on the page until the very end. Yeah, exactly. Was it some like chancellor or something? Chancellor yeah. Joe or something? That something was like, like the, that. But it was like really close to the, it was like one of the tea judges, yes. right? I think. Maybe. But not the one who hated her. Yes. Yeah. 
either way there were a lot of bad dudes in this book like maybe just all men are bad <laughs> except for kung he was great he was fine he was fine. He has the the redeeming the redeeming quality yeah. here, and that cute little um, mm. Kier King Air. I don't Kier. remember what his name is. I'm so terrible with names. Oh my god, we're just gonna like butcher everything in this episode. It's fine. Yeah, we're we're trying, folks. Feel free to call us out. Hence my phonetical pronunciations, <laughs> my phonetical writing. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna remember how to say all this <laughs> exactly because everything you know is like I don't know what the different tones are. So that's Mm-mm. where I'm that's where I'm lacking here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about all sorts of different representational things and the nuances. And this is a segment about power and bodies and how they relate. We have a queer princess. I feel like yay. That's a thing we see a lot in YA now, like a queer head of state. You know. Yes. So it's like in all her books now. It's 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 wonderful. <laughs> and she's in love with her bodyguard. Yes, which I don't know how I feel about the power dynamic going on there, but mm. maybe it'll mm-hmm. all work out in the end. <laughs> yeah, the princess seems to have less power now yeah. that she's been. dethroned pretty much dethroned but yeah i liked i like this little twist and um we just we love to see it we're here for it yeah we also have people like disregarding ning and her abilities because she's a girl but also because she didn't have like the right kind of training which kind of got me thinking about like how sometimes like we put these expectations on people to have this very specific kind of training i think i'm thinking of libraries in particular when you really don't need formal training in order to say you know how to do that thing like sometimes i think maybe we need to like go back to the time of apprenticeships <laughs> mm-hmm. although they should be paid because some of these things don't need to require that we go to school and spend you know tens of thousands of dollars to learn how to do something that's not really necessary for us to do that, that training they could learn while doing the thing and getting paid to do it right yeah Exactly. Yeah, I like the apprenticeship model because that seems to be like the way that the Shenong she'd like learn how to do everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then so the there's like class stuff, obviously like regional stuff going on. So yeah, it was it's interesting to see how and she's up against all these people that have so many different connections in court. Like she walks in on a party where like half of the competitors are there cavorting with the judges and she's like, okay, yeah, I yeah. see how it works over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meritocracy, my ass. <laughs> yeah. It's about who, you know, this is fucking nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> I think like part of this, like coming from Ning's perspective, you know, she's from a very different class than the palace that she's like finding herself in. And when she's talking to the, I forget what the like head palace lady's name was, you know, Mm -hmm. she was like the kitchen grandma Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) made comments about like people not being able to stay away from the palace finery once they've like had a taste, you know, they come from the periphery and they come to the metropolis in the center and they're like, oh my gosh, we have access to all this other stuff. And Ning's mother being the exception who Ning's mom and dad got together and they weren't supposed to forbidden forbidden relationship forbidden love and then they actually ended up being able to like leave the palace but needed to or else she would have gotten in trouble for like breaking an engagement or or something right 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like those scenes in the kitchens. I mean, there's a lot of food, but then there's that's also where you like Me too. get all of the gossip, you know, from the very Downton Abbey-esque, like <laughs> upstairs and downstairs. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Downton vibes. Totally. Totally. And then you have these, these, like these two young competitors mm-hmm. who are kind of like going between like the, the go-betweens between the upstairs and downstairs. But um, the kitchen staff were talking about like the demands of the competition. Cause it was like a bunch of people coming together. So yeah, we were in the kitchens and the kitchen staff were talking about like the demands of the competition. So like, uh, because everyone's coming into the city to, we all find it was a, we found out later it's a ruse, you know, to get all of the the tea makers in one place at one time so we can figure out who's doing the poisoning. Yeah. The staff is talking about like needing to do more with less and it's just, yeah, it's time to do less with less. Just everyone. We just need to be doing less with less, period. The planet needs it. Our nervous systems need it, but it's just hard to, hard to get there. When we see like also like, I think we see this in a lot of books where we have like a palace and, you know, we see all of the like excess going on there while like the people in the towns living farther away have so little and they struggle and that sort of thing. And so it's kind of hard to like, I mean, it it does a good job of like showing these depictions between like the upper class and the middle and lower class as well. And that's kind of like a perfect segue because there's a lot of talk in the book about like masks and masking, like not masking from like COVID masking but like specifically the tea worker from the peony house I think the peony tea house who's like Ning is paired up with at one point in the competition and talking about how she has like a pleasant mask and you can't tell what's going on behind her face Mm -hmm. you just made me think of like the you know performances that we put on in different circumstances and you know I'm over here on my own out my own orbit like extrapolating to things like autism but also like code switching you know for BIPOC in different environments right so Mm -hmm. I just I think that this this particular element of the story was really interesting yeah a hundred percent all right I have two more points one is a quote because (laughs) obviously um so like this is Ning at the beginning kind of in the middle before the princess before we like know that she's the empress and her dad's actually dead and before she gets like dethroned and everything ning's you know telling it to her like she needs to tell it to her being like there's a difference between living the suffering and reading about it is what she says ning says and yeah i just thought that this kind of encapsulated the sorts of advice that she's giving or the sorts of comments that she's making to the people in power and they are definitely things that they need to hear yeah definitely all right, I'll, I'll end it off by saying one does not simply poison the burbs. <laughs> like, oh my God, the poison parrots. They were also kind of badass, but... They were. But it did feel like animal cruelty. <laughs> yes, it definitely did. It definitely did. That was... Um, it, it reminded me of the, like, when they give you an egg to take home in middle school and you're not supposed to, like, break it or whatever because it's, like, your <laughs> fake baby. <laughs> I never had to do that, surprisingly. <laughs> I didn't have to either. It was, like... It was extra credit in home ec. You could take home this like friggin' plastic baby that would cry randomly Interesting. or something for a weekend if you wanted to. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want I'm supposed to, do to that. teach you how to raise a baby or convince you you should not have them. I don't know okay. what the purpose was, to okay. be honest. It was not the pedagogical intentions were not clearly stated <laughs> Surpri- in, in public school. Are you kidding me? Like, that's no surprise. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> 
Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about sexuality, asexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. So Ning and Kung, um, who at the beginning of the book was called Bo, um, which was like um, their language for boy. I'm here for it. We actually didn't talk about him that much in the episode now, I'm realizing. No, we didn't. But he kind of just like, I don't know. He was sweet and cute and like, I want to see Ning happy. So that's fine. (laughs) He showed up when he was going to say he showed up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kept his word. He took her to our garden. That was thoughtful. Took her to that tea house. Was like, I will reveal all my secrets to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I am interested in getting to know him better maybe in the next book, but it's hard because now they're like kind of separated. So I don't know if we will or maybe get like a dual POV or something. Oh, that's a good, a good question. This next one is called, um, it's in the back here of the book that I'm trying to find the page of. A Venom Dark and Sweet. I think it's out already, right? It is out already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's time for Kill Your Darlings. We're like, let's clipping through. I know. Yeah. What do you what What do you have to say in this section? So the, I don't know what it was, and this really like caught me at the beginning of the book. But there was something about the small details the author included to talk about, like th- the smallest things that were just like lo- so lush to me. Like when Ning is on the way to the Capitol, she's speaking to a mother with a baby, and the mom was just like patting the baby's back, but she. But the like author wrote like she was patting the baby's back rhythmically, which is something you totally see caregivers doing. And I just mm-hmm. appreciated how like all the details included in the book were so visceral and like I could just picture them very easily in my head. Um, I think some people might say that's like cinematically derivative and they mean that in like a negative connotation, which is not how I mean it at all. The author just had like such an eye for detail that I don't think we see or I've seen very often. I'm glad that you picked this example too, because it just illustrates so well the difference between just patting the back and patting it rhythmically. And it's like, yeah, give me the good, like a well-placed adverb or adjective, you know, it really can make the difference and and give that extra layer, you know, because, because you're right. It's not just like a random pattern. You pat it like in a, like a syncopated rhythm, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, this parent person's a parent. You can tell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they've they've given care to babies because yes, that's definitely how it works. Yes, yes. I read the the print book, and there's a glossary with terms, and that it's actually a beautifully organized table. You would approve. Oh, love a table. Like with four columns, the the term, the Chinese character, the pronunciation, like the phonetical spelling, and then also the meaning. Um, so they have that a glossary with terms and they also have a list of the medicinal the Chinese medicinal ingredients that are mentioned yeah so everything from like tea which is camellia centesis the shrub that tea plants come from but there's let's see yeah it talks about like white peony root uh silk flower umbrella tree which is um a schefflera which I have in my home I have an umbrella tree mugwort licorice root yeah, lots of other things that I don't know how to pronounce that are amazing, I'm sure. Licorice root is used in skincare. Yeah. Interesting. That's really cool that that's included in there. I liked all of the all of that info that was included and I'm just like 
I'm going to keep harping on on the like thing that we've brought up time and time again that's like your audiobook is not it is not unabridged if you're not including the end matter yeah you know just like stop stop saying that it's false advertising like there's an author's (laughs) note you know that's actually that's important and there's other there's other information that the people want that the people need (laughs) exactly that the people are you know they're buying the book or renting the book or checking it out or renting <laughs> it's I mean, like it's renting a, a textbook it's a rental <laughs> fair enough it's a free rental yeah yeah but not free for the library so <laughs> yeah exactly so support libraries with your with your taxes but yeah i just it's like getting more and more egregious to me the more and more i like i can't un <laughs> unhear it or unsee it you know what i mean yeah yeah Okay, before we end, it's time for real talk. And we're going to get into the nitty gritty with a philosophical question that the text <laughs> poses. And I'm like, Jesse likes philosophy, so I'm excited to pose this. Okay, I'm ready for this, actually. <laughs> it's page 227, and uh, it says, it's a question. Is it human nature to be good or evil? What do you think? I mean, you share your thoughts first. <laughs> <laughs> I have my answer. I am ready for this question. <laughs> I think I I would just say and instead of or. Okay. And that it's circumstantial. Okay. And that it's like, it's a both and. All right. Yeah. That's be, that would be my, my answer in a nutshell. What do you think? I think morals are a social construct and different societies define what good and evil is differently. Um, so it depends on the society you're in and what that society has decided is good and what is evil. It really depends. <laughs> Oh, mic drop. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> now, I do believe that some things... I, well, okay, here's the hard part. I don't really believe in evil because I don't believe in the devil. So I'm like, mm, what is evil even? We just made that up. And I do think there are some things that I think are like intrinsically wrong, but I have decided that. And I don't know that I can make that decision for another person. Because I don't want to be like, I don't want to be like a relativist, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> You know what I mean? No. Evil means different things at different times. You used to be evil to like practice witchcraft or be queer. Like, so, you know. Exactly. Some people still posit that those are evil you yeah. know, now. <laughs> Whereas like I'm over here being like capitalism and ableism are evil, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up that it's like societally constructed. Yeah. We'll think other things are evil or good at different time. Like in the future, where we'll be those old people who are like curmudgeons to be like, no, this is bad. And the young people will be like, no, it's not. You are just old. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know. So this is apparently, this is from the author's note, which, you know, they should put in the audiobook. I'll say it again. I didn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so it says the philosopher's question is the beginning of the three-character classic, a classic Chinese text from the Song Dynasty. The subsequent answer in the actual three-character classic is that people are born fundamentally good, but in the Daishi Empire, it is a question instead. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, the author is just, like, super intentional, and I'm sure that we're missing all sorts of intertexts because, you know, we're interlopers uh, culturally. Yes, we are. (laughs) You know? As you can tell, as we try and pronounce the words correctly. (laughs) Yeah. Apologies if we did not. <laughs> I know. I'm sure that we, with, we've, you know, made some missteps, yes. but hey, yeah. we really, we enjoy the book and mm-hmm. 
this is this is making me really I'm not I think I'm gonna start taking like the ritual of my tea a bit more seriously a practice of like slowing down like your daily things you know exactly exactly that's not what I put in real talk but that's where I came to (laughs) (laughs) that's where we arrived that's where we arrived all right I have to grab these thanks for listening oh card questions I don't know what I was thinking yes please card questions (laughs) so sorry here they are here they are here they are noise effects Kelly had them ready to go impressed um no i'll just do it because i've been called out for my lack of transparency (laughs) (laughs) what symbols or metaphors does the author use oh i'm sure we lost a lot of metaphors along the way the one that has come up in our in our conversation was the river the empire is the river Mm -hmm. and the dissonance is the sticks and then the dam i thought that was like a very evocative message that kind of speaks to like questions of scale Mm -hmm. and how enough sticks can actually divert a river and yay beavers because they do that collective action there we go yes solidarity collective action (laughs) if this book has an epigraph does it help you understand the message an epigraph is that like when they have a little like an opening quote oh does it um let me look no, it has a dedication. Okay. I will actually say I don't really like the epigraphs. Any particular reason? I think it's like too soon for it. You know, like I haven't even started the book and you're like, here's this quote that you don't understand, but you will later. I'm like, put it at the end then. <laughs> I need a, a po- postograph. <laughs> Let me think about that. Yeah, it seems like more for the author than the reader, you know, often. Yeah, it does. It's like, I like yeah. this quote and yeah. I could, I couldn't not put it in or whatever. I mean, it's fine. Also, authors should do whatever they want. It's not my book. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And you know, I'm the opposite. I'm yeah. like, give me the, give me the quote. Give me the mm-hmm. paratext. Mm-hmm. The, give me the found manuscript that's actually completely fictional, but put it in the epigraph to the chapter. Yes. <laughs> Is this the best book you've read on this topic? I mean, I don't know. Does this mean like this is the topic? Like is the topic magical tea? A magical tea? Then yes, it is. I would say it's the best book I've read about magical tea. For sure. Because it's probably the only book I've read about magical tea. And I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, exactly. I did too. It was really good. Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Instagram at The Library Coven because let's be honest, we're not on Twitter. Let's be honest. (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) You can subscribe and you should subscribe to The Library Coven wherever you get your podcasts because this is the penultimate episode of the season of season five and then we are going to be taking a well-deserved break in which jesse will be reading all of the things and not breaking (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and then so if you subscribe then you'll it'll pop new episodes will pop right back up into your feed whenever they whenever they arrive 
And if you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can also support us on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Are we done? Do we do another one? Okay. I think we're right. good. Um, oh, unless you want to. No, we don't need to. We're done. We oh, I thought done. you were holding a card. I was no, like, we, I, I put it back. <laughs> I don't put it back. <laughs> <laughs>